We want to welcome all of our listeners to another episode of Minority Report Podcast with Eric and Carell. Each episode, we talk with leaders in business, tech, and media. And today's episode is sponsored by Beeler Tech. With a focus on building meaningful relationships for individuals and companies, Beeler Tech facilitates powerful connections and conversations, empowers with hands-on coaching and consulting, and amplifies with targeted exposure and messaging. In the digital advertising and media world, Beeler Tech is your connection to what's possible. Today, joining us is Sunit Bhatt, who's dad first, the co-founder of two kids, but also president at Boulder. Sunit, welcome. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Now, dad first, president of Boulder, but you got a couple other titles. Can you tell us about those too? Yeah, absolutely. So a couple other things. So the first side hustle is I write children's books on social issues. So we've written books about global water crisis. We've written books about just like materialism and sustainability. And then we wrote Mm -hmm. probably the hardest book to write was about pediatric cancer and bullying and all like true stories that we sort of bring to life. So that stuff is just like passion projects. I love telling those stories. And then recently I started a, it's not a coaching business. It's a storytelling business, which is how do you help people unearth, frame and tell their authentic story? Like when people hit, get stuck, local maxima, want to pivot, want to find a go-to-market strategy, want to find a way to propose to their significant other. People want a story. So I help them either tie laces, which is like bring stuff together or Mm. build bridges. So those are the two things I started doing. Yeah. You know, Sunita, I think there's one common thread between all of your titles or all of your interests, right? Including being a dad is the storytelling aspect of things. Seems like you really love storytelling. Would love to dig into that. Tell us why. Yeah, I think you've hit it. I have always gravitated towards stories because I think people at the end of the day, they remember aspects. Facts are always hard to remember. Facts with context are important. And a logical narrative arc where people are like, you don't have to remember every detail. You remember the spirit of everything that happened in a way that you can retell it. That's why I love stand-up. That's why I love great books. But I think putting something in the context of a story One, you get more passionate when you tell it. It's so much more fun to tell a story than it is to recite facts. There's also some improvisation iteration to it, some flexibility to it, which I love. But it's not only better for you to tell it, people just remember it. They retain more of what you're saying, which I love. I always love doing. I have to ask you, like, I mean, you love it. You're great at it. Did you learn that from someone in your family or early on in life? How did you develop that passion and and then ultimately great ability? Dude, that's like the best question. It's my dad. So my dad was the best storyteller I had ever, anyone had ever met. He was notorious, like storyteller. He came here from India, went to Cornell for grad school. Day one, like didn't have a place to stay. By the end of the day, he was like staying in the senior suite at a fraternity. He just story told his way into like situations. I love telling jokes and they were sometimes horrible and sometimes brilliant, but always memorable. But that's just what he loved. He was always able to get up and tell a story in any situation. And so I would say without a doubt that like my cadence, my timing, anytime I have a joke that fails miserably, all that stuff is a hundred percent. I get it from my dad without a doubt, without a doubt. Amazing. Do you feel like you either pass that on or now you're family, your next generation sort of absorbs that because it was passed on to you or you also picked it up and rolled with it, right? But then now you have the next generation 
It's fascinating you say that because there's different parts of the stories. Like one, do you just have an authentic love for stories? And my daughter, Anaya, who is going to be eight in January, she loves reading. She has always loved reading. We got her a Kindle. And by the way, like if you have young kids, Kindles are just dope because you can like look up the dictionary, Wikimedia, like you can look up definitions right there. The interface is great. We're borrowing from the library. Like it's just, it's awesome. She'll go to bed. She'll go upstairs at like eight o'clock. And at like 1030 at night, we'll look in the hallway and her light will still be on. She'll just be banging out books. So she just loves reading. So my daughter loves stories. Like she loves reading. She gets lost in the world of like stories, which I think is it's a great place to be. Like as a child, creativity unlocked. Like it's just awesome. And my son is just a clown. Like nobody makes me laugh harder than my knuckleheaded son. He's just nonstop and hysterical. He makes everybody laugh. He makes up his own language. He's five. We have no idea what he's saying sometimes. Super animated. And it's amazing because he actually heard my dad tell this story. So my dad got up once at like a wedding. It's like a really serious thing. And he, and he like started speaking in what sounded like Sanskrit. So my dad was like, and Sanskrit is like this beautiful love language, right? So dad is speaking and speaks for like a minute. And it's like eloquent and like people are like moved. And he's like, if any of you understood what I just said, please tell me, because I have no idea what the hell I just said. And like everybody started cracking up. So now my son does that. So my son will like do this show, <laughs> he'll just speak in gibberish and then like drop that punchline at the end, which is perfect. So I think on both sides, we have like aspects of my dad's storytelling, paying it forward. Fascinating. Where'd you grow up? Where'd I'm you Jersey. call home? Oh, there you go. Oh, dude, I'm Jersey. I'm Jersey all the way. So I grew up in South Jersey, outside of Philadelphia. I then went to school, Rutgers undergrad. I worked in Newark. I worked in Short Hills. I lived in Jersey City. So I did like the first 30 years of my life. I'm like as Jersey as you can get. And then we skipped town for a little while and then came back as soon as we realized we we're going to have kids. My wife is from Edison. As soon as we realized we we're going to have kids, we came back. Amazing. So you skipped town. Was that to head to Duke? <laughs> it was. Duke was the first time. I did skip town to head to Duke. It was great. Grad school was great. And then I didn't come back. So like I did Duke. I did an internship in DC, did an internship in India, moved to Chicago. And like between Duke and Corel, like basically when we met at Live in 10, like my career did all this. It just did a bunch of weird stuff. So I did nonprofit marketplace. I did microfinance research in India. I worked for FEMA, post-Katrina remediation, uh, launched my own social impact consulting company. And then I did like private equity. We turned around a company and we sold it. And then I found my way into tech. But that spurt was awesome because it got me out of New York, got me out of New Jersey. And then I just experimented with like a ton of things, which is like some of the best work I've ever done in my life. Some of the most fun I've ever had. And then my dad would always joke that I was the son who went to grad school, who went to get an MBA so he could make half as much money as he made going in. It's like, that was my judgment. Gotta ask you, favorite all-time Duke basketball player? Favorite all-time Duke basketball player? You know, that is a good one. I'm going to go with, I got to go with Grant Hill. Like, he's all of it. I mean, he made Duke like what it was. Obviously, you had Leitner, and then obviously you had that crew. But that class, 
and that yeah. dunk, right? Like that poster of him, like head above the rim is incredible in the NCAA. But then when you come out and you look at the potential and the, the two different careers he had in the NBA, right? Yeah. Like the Jordan, the heir apparent, the injury, and then just the elder statesman. And now you look at what he's done post yeah. with his career, with his interest in art, with the way he just represents like everything. I think he's like, Grant Hill's just as good as it gets. As good as yeah. it gets. Yeah, he is definitely up there for me. I thought maybe you would have said Hurley being a Jersey guy. <laughs> <laughs> I love I love Hurley. Hurley was great. He looked like all the kids I grew up with to high school with. <laughs> so Bobby Hurley was great. I yeah. love Bob. I would go Grant Hill. I would say I have a, a special place for J.J. Redick, too, because I was there when he broke the record, the, the points record. I was actually at the game when he, he hit the shot, like, in front of us. And then I loved what he turned himself into when he got into the NBA. Like, mm-hmm. it's great. And his mm-hmm. podcast is pretty awesome, too. So Yeah, yeah, definitely. JJ. Tell us about My Authentic Story. Yes. So My Authentic Story. So this is something I've been doing, I feel like, everywhere I've gone, right, which is helping companies figure out their brand, their pivot. A lot of people will come to me and just say, like, I think partially because I love stories. So when someone has a story to tell, there's nothing I love more than sitting down, listening to them, listening to like what story they want to tell, what they want to do, what they want to achieve, and then playing it back to them in a way that they probably never heard before. It's an objective third party celebrating their story, playing it back to them in a way that gets them really invigorated and excited to tell it again. Like that to me is the best part. And we've all been a part of Corral as a CMO, like branding exercises and all this stuff where you get somebody else to come up with a story. It doesn't get picked up because it might be a great story, but it's not authentic to the CEO or it's not authentic to the company. So it looks great in a deck. It's a great story, but it doesn't work. The thing I love is actually helping people like tell a story that they really, truly believe in, that they may not have arrived at themselves, but that is their story. And the approach is, I just meet someone, we'll be connected, I'll do like a 30 minute, just like get to know you, is this something you want to do? Then we do an hour intake, just do like a one hour intake session, like just start talking. And I start journaling for them. And just did this last week, met with an individual, referred by a friend. We talked for about an hour and a half or so. And then I just took all my notes, translated it back into what I thought his story was and what was going on with his life. He'd sold his second company. So he was at a place he's like, I don't know what to do. Like, what am I going to do next? And I played it back for him. And I sent him like eight pages of notes and like a story of like what I heard about him. And I just heard back from today and he's like, you hit some like really key points. Like, let's keep this going. And the highlight for me is when you do that for somebody and I have you know, a client who in the first 30 minutes, she was in tears on the phone. She's like, I don't feel like anybody's ever heard me like this before. I think the thing that excites me the most is actually hearing their story. It's like, I'm not there to judge. I'm not there to like write my own thing. It's that I really just care about their story. And so I had this itch to see if I could turn this into something. And it's been great. Like, you know, four clients deep and it's been a lot of fun. It's only been like six months, but I love it. You know what I love about what you just said there too, Sunit, is that you are really, really listening to people when they tell their story as well, too. I think that is super important. Not enough times like people 
actually take the time to listen. They may hear, but they don't listen. And there's a difference there, right? And I recall a time when you and I worked together and you know, I was at a little bit of a pivotal moment in my career and I reached out to you for advice, right? And you and mm-hmm. I had a, yeah. a very, very similar conversation and you listened to me and then you absolutely did sort of frame it and play it back to me the way you heard me say it. And it, and it really opened up my eyes to a lot of different things. It was very, very, very impactful for me in terms of making a decision in my career and, and going in a, in a certain direction. And so I want to publicly thank you for that as well, too. Yeah, man, I really I appreciate, do appreciate the work that you do. Thanks, bud. Yeah, that was awesome. Thank you. That was really nice to hear, bud. Thank you. No problem. So now I got to switch topics just a little bit on you. Before we started recording, we were all talking about kids and and all of us are dads, right? And you wear many different hats, just as we talked about at the beginning. How the hell do you balance it all? How do you balance it all? (laughs) Man, like I will tell you, I think the thing that I learned super early is that I am not a perfectionist and I am super okay, like not being great. And that is so liberating because it allows me to experiment and do so many things and acknowledge like, uh, you know, I don't have a good day. Like that didn't work out the way I wanted it to work out. Could have done it better. Just like make time for it. That's like the first thing is that I'm not great. The second thing is that I'm not important. Like I'm not that important. And like, I think that matters. Like when you're up on stage, you're doing presentations, people get, anxiety. They're like, I don't know if I can talk in front of all these people. I've never had that problem because I realized that like the worst thing that's going to happen is someone's probably just going to forget me. Right. And maybe the best thing that's going to happen is someone's going to forget me. So like, I don't mind, like, I'm not that important. Honestly, I'm just another dude. So that helps in the context of like, if I can't be somewhere at some time, like the world's not going to end. Right. So like, do your best, but like, what's not going to end without you? And the third thing is I lean into being really clear about my time. So you look at my calendar and I am amped because I wake up in the morning and everybody knows that from 6.30 to 9 in the morning, I'm with my kids. Family time blocked. Everybody knows that from 5.45 to 8.15, I'm with my family. I see my kids a lot every day relative to many folks. And it's just blocked off of my calendar. And by setting that precedent, I can make everything else happen. I feel super lucky. I've been working from home. Basically, since I left live in 10, I've been working from home two days before my son was born. I've been working from home. And I lean into that. So get to do class parents. Today was actually powerful. My last day, I was volunteering at Fort Dix. Uh, with the refugee community down there. So I was going down there Monday mornings and like just creating space in your calendar, being transparent about what you can do, telling people why it's important to you and setting up the day for success is like super important. So I think those things are are super important to do and just be kind to yourself. Like I probably could have done a better job getting the class parent list together for like both the kids' classes. Like I don't know, I didn't do a great job. I'm sure there's some parents that are probably pretty upset at me about it. But like, I tried my best. Nobody else stepped up. I'm going to do it. And I think just like be kind to yourself. So I think when you put all that stuff together, it's a recipe for 
being present and like being available in a really healthy way and then be kind to yourself. So like you wake up the next day and you're like, all right, like start over. I really love the point about being kind to yourself because one of the things that I really realized during the last 21 months working from home and being in this situation is like, I talk to myself more than I talk to anyone else throughout the day. I am in my (laughs) head all the time. And you can really go deep and beat yourself up over simple little things and it can get out of control. And so I think that is super important to remember being kind to yourself. Dude, and anything you can do to set that reminder is super important. So I have like a calendar invite at 6.55 a.m. before my kids wake up that like reminds me that I'm really lucky to be their dad. Like I see that's like my first calendar invite of the day. What are the reminders that you can send to yourself? Because you're going to wake up, and you're going to lose track. Where do you get those snapshots and those reminders? Stuff that you can do to keep reminding yourself. Be kind, be happy, you're lucky all that stuff. I actually like, I was in the same place. I hit probably my low May of like 2020. And I was just like, how do I snap out of this? Right. And I think we all reach out to different people. At some point you're like, look, the only person that's going to pick you up is you. So like pick yourself up. And I did a bunch of things, but one of the things I started doing is I just literally started making all my own t-shirts and sweatshirts and like putting my favorite sayings on them. I'm like, why am I wearing somebody else's stuff? Like, wear my own stuff. So like every day I wake up and I have something on. It's like, I look at myself in the camera. I'm like, yep, just that's a, that's your reminder. And this is the ain't a chain. It's my choosing, right? Just find stuff that like gets your head straight, right? How do you do that? We're going to take a short break and hear from our special sponsor. We're hanging out with Rob Bueller, founder of Bueller.tech. Rob, how are you? Welcome. I'm good. I'm good. Awesome. Listen, Beeler.tech is growing. Rob, tell us what is the core concept behind Beeler.tech? Yeah, it's clear to us that community is greater than complexity. And we believe that if we work together, we can make digital media and digital advertising a better business to be in. We think about that at the individual level, the department level, and even at the publisher level, and anyone that wants to support that concept. I love it. That's so cool. And I love the word that you said, community. Can you talk about the ways that you help the community? Yeah. I mean, we try to connect people with other people and create conversations. And sometimes those conversations are events, roundtables, Slack conversations, right? The key is to move things forward. And one thing I wanted to share with your audience is we like to create speaking opportunities. And Mm -hmm. We think that speaking in front of an audience is a key skill set people need to advance their careers, which is why we love the Minority Report, because you highlight new voices, and we really support that concept. Thanks a lot, Rob, and thanks for always being such a great supporter of the podcast over the years. Your support means a lot. So everyone, please be sure to check out www.beeler.tech. And now back to the podcast. I want to ask you about a post that you shared on the reshuffle and the great resignation. And you you go on to talk about it. And I want to encourage everyone to check it out. But I wanted to ask you a little bit about what you said in it, kind of on the heels of what we're just talking about right now, but about people valuing their work-life balance a little bit more because they had more time with their families and realized that value of quality time, right? Mm -hmm. And also with everything happening around them, 
people understood the fragility of life and, mm-hmm. you know, elevated the pursuit of happiness. When you hear that back from someone else, how does that make you feel? I think it's the most important thing. I say this all the time. I'm like, I'm not a, not a doctor. I'm not a teacher. I'm not a fire person. The stuff I do on a daily basis and its ability to impact people's lives is pretty, is pretty minimal. The most important thing I can do is make sure when people show up to work, they love their work, they feel valued, and they feel like they're being their best selves. And like, that's the truth. But never has that mattered more than like Carell said, the past 21 months. And I think I love that people are quitting and not taking something else. This stuff needs to change, man. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Can you you sort of distill the posts and some of the points that you made in there? Yeah. So I say like, everyone's calling it the great resignation or the great reshuffling. And I'm like, those are super adorable terms. That's not what it is. It's a reckoning. It is time. The data that like jumps out. I just had this conversation with with our team internally. It's the Gallup employee engagement survey. There was like this post in early February, 2020, where, and you can see me getting fired up about it still. Like this is our pitch as business at Boulder too, right? You can see that they say, you know, record levels of employee engagement. It's like a celebrating it, shouting from the rooftops. And the number's 35%. They're saying 35% of people is the most engagement we've ever had in the past 20 years in this Gallup engagement survey. And in my head, I'm like, what about everybody else? Half of the people aren't even responding. They're so checked out, they're apathetic. So that's like going into the pandemic. That was like the month before the pandemic hit month like before it was February 2020. And now now people are leaving their work. And everyone's saying, oh, it's because they like their work-life balance. They want to be at home with their family. I'm like, no, like you lost your control over these people. You lost your gating principles over these people. They realize they don't need to do this anymore. They don't need to be unhappy anymore. They deserve better. And they're coming for you. You've created these terrible working conditions. You've hired people to do this, this incredible work. And then you've given them like work that can be automated away. So not only are you hiring people, you're giving them work that like they're telling you, hey, if you just automate this, I can increase productivity 20, 25%. And guess what? Nobody's listening. So this isn't like a resignation. This isn't like someone sending in a letter and saying, hey, thanks for your time. Like I'm going to go find something else. This isn't a reshuffle. This isn't like a deck of cards. People are like, Everyone's still saying they're moving. People are rejecting the workforce. Mm. They're rejecting work. And they're saying like, it's my turn. We're going to do this on my terms. And now you're seeing it. You can't hire anybody. I have a question. It's interesting. And that plays into exactly what you were talking about with Boulder. Can you Mm -hmm. tell us what's happening at Boulder? And it sounds like there's some solutions coming out of Boulder to address some of those things. Yeah. So we're a purpose-driven outsourcing company. So what the hell does that mean? What we say is Boulder helps you rethink what can be outsourced and rethink what outsourcing can be. So the first part of it is rethink what can be outsourced. We think anything can be outsourced. If you build a good team, you treat the people well, you should be able to outsource anything you need to outsource, not just transactional, like low value stuff. You should be able to outsource anything. That's the first thing. The second thing is rethink what outsourcing can be. Outsourcing doesn't have to be exploitative. It doesn't have to be about financial engineering. Outsourcing can be about building an amazing global team that honors your culture and your values and delivers on your KPIs. And we can do it in a way that gives back to the communities where these people live and work. That's what Boulder does. 
So we take care of our people. We give them careers, not jobs. We work with our clients. We build teams. We don't take on tasks. And then we work with our communities. We give back to the places where our team members live and work. And it's been wild. Like I met the founder, our founder, my business partner, I met him at a conference. I hopped off stage. He was standing there. He's like 25 years old at the time. And he tells me this story. His story is, hey, like I was in the Philippines. David said his mentor is like, my mentor took me to the Philippines. We did an outsourcing company. We realized after two years how terrible it was. We were exploiting the people. All the wealth was going back overseas. Everything was terrible. So him and his mentor, he's 23 at the time. Him and his mentor had this Jerry Maguire moment. They're like, we're going to flip this industry. We're going to write the manifesto. They write the manifesto. Remember, he's 23. Two weeks later, his 42-year-old boss drops dead in the Philippines. What would you have done? I would have run home to my parents. I would have gotten the fuck out of Dodge. I would have run home to my parents. He stayed. He built the company Boulder on this manifesto. He's honoring his mentor, Jeff's legacy, building a foundation to support his legacy. That's where Boulder came from. And he's like, the difference is we're going to do this the right way. We're going to take care of our people. So we started this company. We get to the pandemic and like everybody talks about values, right? So I joined full-time in January, 2020. March 2020 hits and the world happens. Two values in Boulder. First, team member health and success. Second, client health and success. Revenue be damned. Take care of your team. Take care of your clients. Everything else will take care of itself. We were 250 people. We took a 35, 40% revenue hit instantly overnight. Instantly. We're bootstrapped overnight. Held the course. Kept as many people employed as possible. Let clients out of contracts. Like just held everything together, right? Didn't take salary. Team members didn't take salary. Like it was crazy. Fast forward December, 2021. We are 1,200 people. We are in five locations. We have quintupled revenue, quintupled footprint, like everything. And it's an extraordinary time. And what did we do? Every time the shit hit the fan, we leaned in on taking care of our people and taking care of our clients just gets so clear and our team members stay with us longer. They believe in us. They like invest with us. They stay with us longer. They stay with our clients longer. And it's this virtuous flywheel. It is like not business process outsourcing. It is better process outsourcing. Like it is a better way to build a business than a team. And that's been amazing and validating, right? Like 5X growth in 19 months. It's pretty awesome. What kept you going through the tough times, right? Because like you said, you hit some really, really tough times there with the company. Like, was it truly the the mission and values? Was it that plus something else? Like that must've been some dark days, right? The, oh yeah, the people and the commitment we made to the people. I'm like, I think that's the most important thing. Those were our team members. And it was amazing. This is what happens when you invest in people. Like we were like, what do we do? How do we put the least amount of burden on our people? We're like, all right, Let's let people out of contracts. Let's cut fixed costs. Let's like cut variable costs. Let's executives, no salary. We just did everything. And we did all of that. And then we went to the team. We're like, hey, this is where we're at. And we went to the team and said, this is what we're doing, right? First. And they were like, we were just getting DMs. People are like, I want to give back my salary too. What told myself, what can I do? And you just created this like incredible failure. We made sure everybody got paid back. And then some, we did all of that. But I think you set this incredible positive momentum by leaning into people and watching them lean back into you. 
that you can't pull out. Like that's what keeps you going. It is amazing. Like it was, it's so validating. Like, so when I went to Duke, I got my MBA in, in social enterprise. So like, you know, on the early side of like good business and mission-driven businesses. And I've been thinking about this for like, how do we make this happen for 17 years? And here we are, this company started by this, at that point, 25-year-old guy in memory of his mentor. It starts with that DNA. He's like, we're doing this for the people. So listen, we're just going to start there. Like, there's no other options. That's what we're going to do. And I remember talking, I had a bunch of folks who were running startups and came to me like, how are you handling layoffs? How are you handling salary? How are you handling the message? And I was like, this is our story. I was like, this is what we're doing. And everybody was like, we can't do that. Like, we can't work that way. And it's fascinating to see how, how people have had to ebb and flow through that. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Based on the last 10 minutes of what we just talked about, the story that you told about Boulder and the great resignation, what excites you about the future of work and the workplace? Ah, uh, the future of work, the thing that excites me is I think the person at work becomes the center of the universe. It used to be the office, right? Like the office chair in the office. Like to go to work, you had to go in, you had to commute. So you had to lock in. Then you had to go through a turnstile. Then you had to log in at your desk. Then you had to have your monitor on. All the tracking was happening there. Hmm. What I love is the pandemic just like snapped all of that. None of that matters anymore. What matters now more than anything else is the individual. And as an employer, your job is to equip and unleash. Like that's what you got to do. That's what's happening now. And what we're going to see, I think, is more people happier at work because it has gone from a default expectation to something they opt into. So that's the first thing, right? Like this is live intent, double opt-in email, right? Like people are in this, they're opening, they're engaged. This is where they're going. I think people are opted in as a result of them opting in they're going to bring them their best selves to work. And as a result of bringing their best selves to work, like better things are going to happen. We're going to produce better stuff. And I'm excited about that flywheel. It's like what we did at Boulder in a microcosm, I think applied to the entire workforce. And I think like, look, man, I don't know if people are going to have to work 40 hour weeks anymore. I don't know if people are going to work what they need to work to get the work done. And I think all this space is going to be created. But the most exciting thing is that we've had, dude, 65% of the workforce has basically been disengaged for the entire tenure of the Gallup survey. Two-thirds of people and their energy and their contribution has been wasted. Think of what happens when that gets flipped. The energy we're going to bring, and just think of like the cascading effects. We spend most of our time at work Imagine if you're happy doing that. Like, how did it make you a better dad? Like, does that make you a better husband? Like, does that make you a better neighbor? Like, what does that do for you? And I think the opportunity and optimism with all that is just like exciting. And all I control is what happens in Boulder. But like, this is how we're talking about it at Boulder. Equip and unleash, this is what we're talking about. Love it. Now, fun question I have to ask every guest that we have on the podcast is to give us the top three apps on your phone, but you can't name email, calendar, or text messaging. Top three apps on my phone. 
Oh man, I'm old, dude. I'm like one of the two browser tab guys. Like, I don't know. <laughs> let me let me think. Let me think. Let me think about it. So the apps that I go to the most, I would say my iTunes for podcasting. Oh, actually, you know what? Isn't that hard this year? So iTunes uh, for podcasting, without a doubt. I listen to podcasts, like put myself to bed. All to, like that's I love podcasts. So without a doubt, you are not so smart is my favorite podcast ever. I just encourage you to listen to it in terms of like decision-making and how the human brain works. It's mind-blowing stuff. So it's amazing. You're Not So Smart is great. I love, love podcasts. I think the second and actually probably the most popular app is my Kindle app. I think a year ago when I was not in, you know, in a tough spot, it would have been like Netflix, but I made a deliberate change for my Kindle. And so I've loved, I'm tearing through books this year and it's just been, it's been awesome. So I would say my Kindle app is the next big one. And then LinkedIn is probably the third one. And LinkedIn for news information, checking up like what people are up to more than Facebook. I would do LinkedIn, but mostly I do tons of reading and tons of my news stuff from LinkedIn. Those are the three. So super like not exciting at all, but that's, uh, that's what I do. Awesome. How can people get in touch with you? Yeah, I would say the best way to get a hold of me is through LinkedIn. If you send me a message there, I usually will, will engage. So check out my profile, connect with me there, or check out myauthenticstory.com. Those are good places to get a hold of me. Awesome. Well, thanks again to Beeler Tech for sponsoring this podcast and supporting conversations like this. It means a lot. And without that support, none of this is possible. So Beeler Tech is activating powerful connections and conversations in the digital advertising and media world. Beeler Tech is your connection to what's possible. Please check out Beeler.tech. Thanks, Sunit, for hanging out with us again. And, and I want to share something that you shared, which is humility is the noble choice to forego your status and use your influence for the good of others. It is to hold your power in service of others. And I've got one more, which yeah. is everything can be taken from a man, but one thing, the last of human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. Thanks everyone again for listening. You can Thanks, find guys. more episodes where you find all your audio and video and just search Minority Report Podcast and look for the logo. Thanks guys.